We continue today talking about this idea of being faithful and what that means, using God's gifts for God's glory. And we all know, as Randy mentioned this morning, that our Father is uh, beyond rich. I mean, we can't even imagine how rich He is. And He pours out those blessings to us. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself the question, why did He give you the blessings that you have? Uh, So we've talked about how to do that. We talked about using your time for God's glory, the the days that you've been numbered, if you will, and to use that wisely. We talked about using your treasure in a way that glorifies Him by giving generously, by saving diligently, and by spending wisely. Uh, Last, uh, before uh, Back to School Sunday, we talked about using your talents in a way, whatever those talents might be, to glorify Him and to bring honor to the Master. If you're faithful in a little bit, then the Master is faithful in much, and He will entrust you with much. As we've said many times, but it bears repeating, the theme kind of verse for this series is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. And if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn there. If you don't know where 1 Corinthians 4, 2, I'll tell you, it's in the Pew Bible. It's in all Bibles. <laughs> but if you're turning in the Pew Bible, you'll want to turn to page 1,222. And the words which are on the screen for you simply say what Paul wrote. Moreover, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. It's true in our time. It's true with our treasure. It's true with our talents. In every way, when God gives you something, it comes with an expectation. The same sort of expectation that you and I have when we entrust something precious to us to someone else. What he has poured out into us, then, should overflow from us. And so that's the the scope of helping us think a little more broadly, if you will, about stewardship and what that means. The war was over. Uh, Victory had just been assured, and the soldiers were all rallying and excited. Everybody was thrilled to go home. They were not home yet. Uh, They were going out to celebrate as young soldiers might. They were planning to go out and drink. They were planning to go out and meet some women. Uh, They were planning to just live it up in celebration of the great victory that they had just had. And as they went out, uh, one of the fellows said, guys, anybody know what time it is back home? One guy looked at his watch. He sort of did the mental math real quick. He said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, back home it would be about 7.30. And uh, didn't say anything more about it. The guys kind of went on, and they were headed to the bars. And one of the soldiers stopped dead in his tracks and said, guys, uh, I I can't join you tonight. Why not? I mean, the war is over. Let's uh, celebrate. Let's live it up, buddy. I I can't. What gives? I mean, just a minute, you were coming right along. What's the problem? He said, you told me that back home, it was 7.30. And so I know that tonight, 7.30 on a Wednesday night, I know exactly where my parents are 
at this very moment. They're pulling into the parking lot there at the Madison Church of Christ where they're going to meet with the church. I can't, guys. I I can't go and do what we all had in mind knowing where my parents are and knowing what they are doing halfway around the world. That is a true but simple and powerful illustration to remind us of the power of your family, the impact that your example and your influence has upon your children, even as the scriptures say, long past the time when they're in your nest. When you train up a child in the way he should go, when he's old, he'll not depart from it. You see, in that moment, halfway around the world, it was a father and mother and their example of always being at midweek service, 7.30, there at that particular church every week. And that son had grown up seeing that and knew that his parents were so faithful in that that he was absolutely 100% sure that he could not carry out his plans. And he didn't. Today, we're talking about being faithful with your tribe. And, and by tribe, that's what I mean, your, your family. The, the group of people that, that really you didn't get to pick, okay? For better or for worse, those are the people assigned to you. And somehow, in some way, God in his, in his wisdom said, I want this person to be in this family, and this will be the people... These will be the people, regardless of how many followers you have on Twitter, how many likes you get on Instagram, or how many friends you have on Facebook, these are the people that will be sitting down front on the day of your death. On the day when the world comes to mourn and to honor your memory, it will be those people who weep the most. Those people who will be with you through the thick and the thin of life, and you for them. So, may we consider, as we consider faithfulness, how we can be faithful with our tribe. A question. Have you ever seen awkward family photos? Uh, you, you probably have a few of those at home. I do as well. Um, you know, just the ones that were taken, and you kind of look back, and I don't know, somebody was looking the wrong way, or a shirt was untucked, or, or the, the baby was just screaming and crying, and it just wasn't a great picture, but the photographer snapped the moment forever. Well, there is a, a website devoted to this subject of awkward family photos, because we all got them. And um, they're funny. They're funny because sometimes... The camera catches at just the right moment. Here's a family on the beach, an errant frisbee thrown, and uh, the family picture is ruined, but it left a forever funny picture. Sometimes they're funny because of the, uh, oh, shall we say, the style era <laughs> that they were taken. Mmm, mm, that's, a, that's a keeper right there. Uh, sometimes, sometimes they're just funny because of the particular people in them or the expression that they have on their face. <laughs> now, 
we all can can look at those and kind of laugh. Maybe you've maybe you've been down by the, the north side picture board. There's some people looking this morning said they were going to. By the way, I'll just make a mention. If you haven't updated your your family picture, some of you need to do that. It hasn't been updated since 1985. Okay, it's time. Okay. We know you've changed. Get that picture taken. We're going to do that all on Sunday mornings. And uh, if you certainly, if you got that look on your face, you you, you might want to reconsider. Okay, uh, I think here's one from our picture board. Isn't that isn't that Mark? Isn't that you? That's that's what I thought. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> this is uh, one of the other ones from awkward family photos. But but in, in sincerity and half joking, uh, but. If, you, if it's time to update your picture, make sure you do that during the month of August. Sunday mornings, you can go back there. Don't have to make an appointment. Just get it updated. But what's funny about those pictures in your home, on the church picture board, wherever they are, is that there are these moments in time where we look back and we think, oh, my goodness, what was I thinking when I wore that? What was I thinking when we, when we decided to dress in that outfit? I mean, all of us have those moments And as we look back on them, they're kind of funny. So let me ask you a serious question about your family. Awkward though they are. You love them, warts and all. And they love you in the same way. Why do you suppose God created the family? Take yourself back, if you can, to to the, the, the world that is not our world, but the world when it was perfect and good. When it was full of everything that God had in mind. In fact, if you're following along in your Bibles, just go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 tells us the beginning of all things, and specifically the creation of a very special creature known as Adam. Made in God's image. He was handcrafted by God. Genesis chapter 2 Verse 18 tells us the reason that God created the family. Now, remember, up to this point, everything in the world, God said it was good. And God created the stars and the heavens and the seas and the skies, and it was good. And the plants and the vegetation, it was good. And the animals, and it was good. But this is the first time in Scripture that we see that something is not good. This is Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, page 3 there on the Pew Bible. If, you, if you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, then the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You've got to think about that for just a second. It's hard to imagine, but, but Adam lived in a perfect world, the utopia of the garden, heaven on earth. Adam had not only lived in a perfect world, but he had a divine purpose. God had set him out to take care of the garden. God had given Adam continual provision. He was free to eat of any tree in the garden, save one. He had everything he could want. And yet, as God examined the entire entirety of the situation... There was one thing he did not have that he desperately needed. He needed someone like him. Someone who was a helper. Someone who could walk with him and think like him and talk like him and reason like him. Because you see, God wired Adam 
just like he wired all of us to be in relationship. Um, I've been kind of watching this show on uh, Netflix, and the name of it is called Alone. The premise of it is very simple. They take people who are survivalists, and they send them out onto, uh, I believe it's Vancouver Island. And they, they are in a remote location. They are far removed from the world, and there is no one around. You say, well, how are you watching the program? Didn't they have a cameraman? No, no. No, they, they train these men and women who are trained survivalists in the process of filming themselves. And they film themselves in everything. And, and for better or worse, they drop them off, and they've got a little satellite phone. And when they're ready to be done, they'll send a rescue boat to bring them out. And so we as the audience get to watch, and some make it a few days, some make it several weeks, some go several months. But the most common theme for every single person is the crippling loneliness. More people will leave the island and give up on a half a million dollar prize, not because of snake bites, not because of injury, not because of bears or cougars. All of those dangers are very real. All of those can be pressed through, but it's the crippling, absolutely almost crushing loneliness as they film themselves talking about how much they miss their kids or their wife or their husband or their parents. It's the loneliness that will eventually cause them to give up. You know why that is? Because God designed us to be in relationship. Whether you're married, you're in a family, your parents, you are designed to be in relationship. And so, the, one of the very reasons that God created the family, the covenant of marriage, the blessing of children and grandchildren, the blessing of parents, is because you and I were designed to be in relationship. You see, your family is no ordinary group of people. They are, whether you believe it or not, a gift. To you from God. They are a gift to you from your Father. And He has blessed you with your family. Desmond Tutu put it this way, and I thought it was so well, I would just quote it directly. You don't choose your family, they are God's gift to you, as you are to them. So, so my question is. Have you ever thought of it that way? Because I'll be honest, family is one of the, easily one of the most least appreciated, most taken for granted gifts that we have. You come in on a Sunday morning, I'll be walking around, and if I see you, I'll make eye contact, I'll stick out my hand and I'll smile real big and I'll shake your hand. And I'll make chit-chat and I'll talk to you about things going on in your life and pray for you if that's necessary. I will do everything I can to make you feel welcome and warm. But I cannot tell you the number of times I've come into my home and I'm a million miles away. And I'm short with my wife. And I'm abrupt with my kids. It's happened more often than I am really care to even think about. Why is that? Is it because I don't love them? No. 
It's because I take them for granted. I have to do a gut check to really begin to understand that, that they, my wife, my children, are a gift to God from me. To, yeah, my goodness. Are a gift to me from God. And how faithful I am, maybe the way to think about it, is how faithful I am with them is my gift back to the Father. If I take that seriously. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, if you want to turn there, we can go back to now to the New Testament. If you're a Bible student, you know that Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of fame. More precisely, the hall of faith. It is a story The list, the holy list of these men and women of God who followed God and trusted God and were faithful in many different ways. But there's one I want to pinpoint on and focus in on for the rest of the time together. It's in verse 7, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, page 1287 in the Pew Bible. By faith, Noah, when warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Hebrews eleven seven tells us the story of one man by the name of Noah who was faithful with his family. Would you do me just a favor, just humor the preacher for just a minute? Um, would, you, would you just take yourself back to Noah's world? If you just close your eyes, and some of you are already there. I appreciate you being already there. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. But just, just close your eyes and imagine what it was like. You've been told by God what's going to happen. Now you know that if salvation of you and your family and your household is going to happen... It's up to you. And as you step into that world, each day you are going out to build. You're going out to construct. Now, if you do the math in Scripture, maybe a hundred years or better that Noah had to build the ark. Think about that. 36,000 days where every day he'd get up and think about the next step in the building of the vessel that would save he and his family. That maybe if he knew or not would be the salvation of the entire world. Don't you know it was tough. There was heavy beams to lift. There, there was instructions to follow. How good of an of a architect and, and engineer and builder he was, we don't know. But each and every day he went out and he sawed and he hammered and he laid the beams and he poured the pitch. With every swing of his hammer, with every board that was cut, with every beam that was laid... Every amount of pitch that was applied, Noah was building more than an ark. He was building a legacy. He was being faithful to the Lord. 
and he was being faithful for his family. As I think about it, Noah did three crucial things in that story. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 is where we find it. And it's a long section of Scripture, so I'm not going to read it in its entirety. But when you read about the entire chapter of Genesis 6, you figure out that Noah did three simple things. Number one, he believed God's word. Because God told him there was going to be a flood, there was going to be destruction, and he told him the way of salvation, but Noah had to trust that, and he couldn't just trust it and sit on his hands and wait for the waters to come, could he? No, he had to trust, and he had to begin to build. He believed God's word. He took God at his word. The second thing is he prepared for the water. Now, we don't know if at any point, up to this point in creation, if a single drop of rain had ever occurred or fallen on that land. We we know it's a very different world than what we live in today. And yet, because God said the water was coming, Noah prepared for the water every day for well over a 100 years. He believed God's word. He prepared for the water And he pursued the way of salvation. Now catch this, because this is important. In our culture, when you talk about the way of salvation, I used a very offensive word there, the. You see, the world would say, well, it's a way of salvation. I mean, there are many paths that lead to God. You just find what works for you, and that's fine. No, 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 wait a second. In Noah's story, and in ours, there's the way. There was only one ark. There was only one, one way. And, and I, maybe perhaps as the rains begin to come down and the waters began to rise, perhaps there were men who were capable who tried to build rafts, who tried to build some sort of escape, who tried to hold on to something, who sought at the highest ground that they could. But for some reason, all of their ways wouldn't work. Only God's way would. Noah pursued the way that God had told him about. Now, this is, this is an interesting story as we think about it. But it's an applicable story when we live it out. We've got to. That story is in there for a reason. The scriptures say that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. You see, there's a lesson for us today. And I, I want you to turn now to Second Peter chapter 3 if you're following along in the word of God. And I hope that you are. Second Peter chapter 3, Peter, he, he reflects back to a time when the world was very different, and yet in many ways, the world was very much the same. And Peter says this, 2 Peter 3, 3, page 1302 in the, in the Pew Bible, if you're following along. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water And perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, 
being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the, day, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. The Lord is not slow, as some count slowness, to fulfill his promise, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since then, all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be? To live lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly Bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see, we, we can pick on the people of Noah's day. We can say, oh, how could they not have known Noah was a preacher? Surely he must have warned them. No doubt he did. But they did not believe That the promise would be fulfilled. They would say look Noah where's this rain you're talking about. Where's this flood you've been talking about. Where is it going to come. This boat you're halfway done. We haven't seen a drop of rain since that. Noah he's lost his mind. He's off his rocker. And Noah continued to warn them. And he continued to build. Because he believed God. Now. We too. Live in a day where God has promised. A day of destruction will come. A day will come, and, and, and I know people are concerned about global warming. Um, so is God. There's going to be a day coming when it gets mighty hot around here. In which everything that you and I know and see and hear and have ever seen will be very, very beautiful kindling that will be gone in an instant. And he has warned us just as he warned them. It was raining the other day. My sweet daughter, Grace. Of course, Kansas kid probably comes by it naturally. Dad, is God, is God flooding us again? No, 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 honey. God, God, wouldn't, God wouldn't flood the world again, would he, Dad? No. No, God promised he'd never destroy the world in that way again. But he did promise that there's a day coming when the world and the heavens and the stars and the moon and the sun and the planets and the galaxies, that all of it will be gone. And we are warned just as they are warned, as the people of Noah's day were warned. So then may we follow in Noah's example. May we take God as his word. May we remember the promises to Noah. May we remember every time we see a rainbow, regardless of how the world redefines the meaning of the rainbow, may you not forget that the rainbow always meant just one thing. That God is faithful. And God always 
keeps his promise. And he doesn't want any of you to perish. He's promised a day of destruction will come. He's promised that day is headed. And you know, as you and I sit here, we are closer to that day than we've ever been. My, my question is, have you forgotten that promise? Do you forget that we are closer to that day now than ever? It's what kept Noah building. He knew that day was coming. And he knew, see, he was motivated. He was motivated to save his family. He was motivated to make a change because he knew destruction was coming. So may we do the same thing today. May we take God at his holy word. The scripture says, do not forget this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And some people get all sorts and tied up in all sorts of theological knots. Like, what does that mean? All it means very simply is this. God's view of time is very different than you and I. For what took Noah a century or more to build was in God's eyes just a moment. And what seems like 2,000 years since Jesus left this world, we might think, well, maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe it's not all true. Don't forget that God's view of time is different than ours. And with him, thousands of years can go by, and they are just as a moment. Same as with Noah. Secondly, may we lead our families to the water. If there is a day of destruction coming, what are you doing to prepare? Imagine that you leave church today. I know, at this point in the sermon, you're wondering, will that ever happen? But you, you go out, you get in your car, you, you, you turn on the radio, you're going down the road, you're talking about how great the sermon was, you're thinking about, man, let's go to Chick-fil-A tomorrow. You're thinking about all these things when all of a sudden you hear the warning on the radio. And they say, Wichita, Kansas is, is absolutely, there's going to be a huge F5 tornado. We have no doubt. We looked at all the models. You need to make preparations now because tomorrow Wichita will be flat. Flatter than it is already. What would you do? Would you stop at Lowe's on the way home? Would you get some plywood? Would you, would you get some extra water? Would you make sure that the gas tank was full? Would you make sure the generator was ready? Would you make sure you had everything in the basement to prepare for when the tornado came? Absolutely you would. Why? Especially if you're a good father or mother, you do that for the salvation of your family. Several months ago, we had tornado sirens going off in the Goddard area, and, and, and the Levering family went down into the basement, get all of our supplies, get all the flashlights, get all the extra food, make sure we're ready. God said, there's a storm coming, and the destruction of which is nothing like you've ever seen in your life. So be ready. Be prepared. God doesn't want you to be found on that day which will come like a thief in the night and be unprepared. He wants you to lead not only yourself but your families to the water. Turn with me real quickly to 1 Peter chapter 1, or, I'm sorry, chapter 3. We're just back a couple of pages if you were in 2 Peter. But this is very interesting to me. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're starting in about verse 20. I'm kind of starting midway in the verse. Um, Page 1297 in the Pew Bible. God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. 
And this water symbolizes baptism. It now saves you also. It's not the removal of dirt from the body, but it's the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the salvation in Noah's story was the water which would destroy all the sin and the ark that got him through the water safely. The salvation in our story is, of course, Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. You say, well, what do I do about that? How do I, how do I get his salvation? And some preachers will tell you, well, listen, all you need to do is bow your head and say a little prayer. Just repeat after me and say these words. But, but that's not in the Bible. That's, that's not a part of the promise. And, and some people say, well, you just need, you need, just need to, to accept Jesus into your heart. But listen, if I read the scriptures again and again, I never find once where Jesus said, accept me into your heart. Not once. You know what he did say? Follow me. If you love me, obey me. Keep my commands. You see, the way of salvation is the water. No, there's nothing magic in the water, okay? We, we understand? That's just ordinary water from Wichita Municipal, okay? Um, there's nothing special in the water except that that's where Jesus said, if you want me, if you want salvation, Mark 16, 16, believe and be immersed. Now, I can't put it any more clearly than that because that's how simply Jesus put it. If you have not chosen to believe in Jesus and do what he said to do, uh, you're, not in, you're, not, you're not in the ark. <laughs> you're not ready for the day of destruction. So get ready. Uh, what are you waiting for? There's no better time like today. Lead not only yourself but your families to the water. I know we've been pretty top level, okay? This is not a sermon on parenting and marriage tips and all of that. That'll be a sermon for another time. This is today to think, think very clearly about what's going to happen on that day of destruction if your children and your grandchildren are not ready. I know you think as a parent it's your job to create a world-class ball player, and that may happen, but that's not your job. Number one, your job is to make sure they get to the way of salvation. I know your job is to make sure they're a wonderful uh, musician, uh, get into Ivy League schools, but, and those things may happen, but that's not your job. Number one, job number one for a parent is to lead their families to the water. And so I hope you have a discussion. I hope you have a very serious time of prayer with you and your spouse and just think about, are our children ready for the day that's coming? Are we like Noah, who in holy fear built an ark, not so we could have cool VBS stories, not so we could have something to talk about, but so that he could save his family. May we be as diligent. May we not forget our purpose as parents and grandparents. May we remember that God gave them to us as a gift, so may we be faithful in our eternal stewardship of their souls. Because let me give you a terribly scary scenario for the moment when Jesus comes back and your children, be they young or be they grown, look to you and say, Mommy, Daddy, what's happening? Mommy, Daddy, what, 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 what is this about? What are we going to be okay? What's going to happen? And you tell them, I never told them, I never told them, I never got them ready, I didn't. It'll be too late. 
May we be like Noah and be always building so that they're ready for the water. And may we diligently pursue the way of salvation. Acts 4.12 says, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. Jesus Christ is not a way. He is the way. May we be diligent about leading our families to him and preparing all of them for the day of destruction. The scripture has been spoken. The word has been taught. The question is, have you heard it and have you lived by it? If you are not ready this morning for the day of destruction, come this morning. Come. Waste not a single moment. Come forward. Obey Jesus and begin to walk with him and prepare for the day of destruction. And if you've been remiss in your job as a parent and grandparent and you need to repent, you just need us to pray for you, we're here to pour into you. We are an intentionally intergenerational church. We want to help you lead your families to Jesus. And if we can do that in any way, if you have any need of this congregation, meet us down front together while we stand and while we sing.